This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. And now a word from this episode's sponsor. Guys, I have a confession. I'm a terrible hoarder when it comes to taking photos on my devices and never cleaning or organizing them. And I'm not alone. The average family has over 50,000 photos and videos just hanging out on memory cards and hard drives. Too often, these memories aren't shared or enjoyed. They can be lost, deleted, or forgotten. And let's face it, life can get in the way and personally organizing thousands of photos can be a truly daunting task. I can't tell you how many times I set time aside to clean my camera rolls and just felt immediately overwhelmed. That's why I'm so excited about Memory My Way. It's an amazing new service that helps a modern family rescue these memories from the cloud. Not only that, but they provide a high-end photo album every year from photos that you choose. Here's how it works. The service is all-inclusive with a monthly subscription. With free courses, all members learn how to take control and back up and organize media the right way. The coolest part? Every single member is partnered with a professional designer who creates a custom photo album using photos of your choosing. The albums are hardcover, linen-wrapped, and beautifully designed, something that you will be proud to share with your family and friends. So check out Memory My Way and take control of the memories that you've created. Visit MemoryMyWay.com and use our special code DEVIL to get $5 off your first month. Again, that's MemoryMyWay.com and use our special code DEVIL to get $5 off your first month subscription. We can't wait to see what you've created. You are listening to We Saw the Devil, an investigative and conversational true crime podcast that deep dives into fascinating criminal cases that are solved, unsolved, or ongoing. From America's Lori Vallow to Germany's Armin Mivas, we examine and discuss the world's most shocking cases. If you're enjoying the show, don't forget to follow us online. Check us out at WeSawTheDevil.com and WeSawTheDevil on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And don't forget, you can become part of the show by backing us on Patreon. Everyone, this is Robin and this is Jackie and we are super excited because finally after months of waiting there is movement in the Lori Vallow case yes and so today's episode is going to be a recap of all of the news from the last couple of weeks as well as just a state of the case I mean we have everything from Chad Dable giving away his house to an immunity agreement and all sorts of crazy stuff I'm excited for Zulema. I am so excited for Zulema. I feel like that was actually the biggest news of the week and so we will dive into that Before we do that, let's get some quick housekeeping out of the way. First and foremost, we now have an an official schedule. So, and this is something that we are going to stick with. So going forward, we will have three episodes released per week. Monday will be Lori Vallow update days. If permitting. Yeah, case permitting. Mondays will be Lori Vallow episode days. If not, we will do a random case that we're interested in. Wednesdays are going to be our cult series. 
If you're an executive producer on our Patreon, then what we're going to do is we're going to bring you on the show. We want to get to know each and every one of you. And so we want you to pick your most interesting case, your favorite true crime case. We'll bring you on to talk about it. And then Jackie and I will also simultaneously cover that case. That's going to air every Friday. So if you're interested in joining our Patreon, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash we saw the devil. And, you know, not only that, you can join for as little as $3 a month and get all sorts of goodies, like postcards from our case of the month, where we pick one case somewhere in the world, and we send all of our Patreon patrons postcards with the location to that case. And then at the very end of the month or first of the following month, we do the special case on that. And everyone loves it. It, It's kind of leaving, it leaves a lot of people guessing, which is really cool, because I love hearing people guess what it could be. Yes. Some of you are really brilliant at it. And we have some Patreons like our beloved Shauna, who has quite the collection now. She's been with us for a while. So people love, you know, collecting postcards and listening to true crime, you know, t-shirts, stickers, all sorts of cool stuff. So if you're interested in any of that or just generically supporting the show and backing it, check out our Patreon. Other than that, guys, let's talk Lori Vallow. Yes, please. Chad Daybell gave John Pryor, his attorney, his home. And everyone was freaking out, like, why is that? Is that is that normal? What's going on with Chad Daybell's money situation? And this is actually totally normal, guys. Lawyers want to get paid. I mean, can you imagine being the attorney for either Lori or Chad? I can't. That must cost a lot of money, and I would be really irritated. All of the money that goes into it, the research, the writing, the motions. So obviously, attorneys want to get paid. And there are multiple options on the table for that, like liens, quick claim deeds, etc. So in this particular case, it's via transferring the interest in Chad's residential property into a quit claim deed. We've all been sitting here wondering where Chad Daybell's money is. Like, how are they financing? How is Chad financing an attorney for both himself and Lori? We remember that he got roughly $430,000 from Tammy's life insurance policy after her death. And we know via a leaked receipt to his bank account that he had roughly $130,000 remaining of that way before he even got arrested. That's likely all gone now. Now, if you recall, Chad was arrested on June 9th. So June 10th is the date of the original quitclaim deed that he signed with John Pryor. So the day after was the original date of the filing of that quitclaim deed. The recording date of the contract was October 29th of 2020. So it's normal. Basically, Chad's, Chad's probably broke, probably doesn't have a lot of money or doesn't have the estimated amount that's going to carry him through this. There's going to be a lot in play with this. We don't know about Tammy's demise, right? Tammy was also on the original mortgage as a purchaser with Chad Daybell of their home in Rexburg she died. If someone is responsible for their spouse's murder, they can't inherit you know, any property or keep anything, anything like that. So we will go into the details if it becomes pertinent or relevant down the line. But there's a lot, you know, mitigating factors in how all of this is going to play out. But as it stands right now, Chad Daybell does have a quit claim deed with John Pryor to give him his home. What's going to be super interesting, I think, is that John Pryor isn't qualified. If this becomes a capital case, people are already speculating that they may get, uh, be assigned public defenders down the road anyway. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, I didn't even actually know that it would change lawyers. Possibly. I mean, we'll see. There's so much that's going to go into this, and we're, we're just going to have to see how that all plays out. 
Now, the elephant in the room here, and probably the biggest thing that's that's come out over the last couple of weeks, is that 18-minute-long audio recording back in October. Summer Shiflet was meeting with detectives in Arizona, and the conversation, she happened to speak with prosecutor Rob Wood, and it happened actually directly before she was interviewed by detectives. And Garrett Smith, who many of you may remember from a couple of interviews, He's Summer's attorney, Zulema's attorney. He described it as, quote, the introductory conversation was meant to be a brief opportunity for both parties to officially meet. You can hear the 18 minute long audio recording. There's also a transcript available online. And then it was also played in the hearing that many of us watched with bells on. But Garrett Smith claims that there, it was odd, that he felt like something was off. So he consulted with the state bar and eventually ended up sending this recording to Mark Means and John Pryor, and they believed that it was dangerously close to witness tampering or to, quote, coerce, unduly influence, coach, and or intimidate Summer. They believe this so much, in fact, that they filed a joint motion to have Rob Wood removed from the case entirely. And there was a hearing, and the hearing with Judge Stephen Boyce occurred last week. Now, more or less, each side went back and forth on why that wasn't the case. Means and John Pryor brought out multiple witnesses. What do you think about this, Jackie? I I always felt like it was very obvious that Melanie Gibb was counseled in some way before she got on the stand. It was was her demeanor. It just, like, seemed like a complete 360 in personality Mm -hmm. and how she was trying to maintain a story to avoid certain things. Yeah. It's very counseled. Um, So I I wouldn't be surprised, to be honest. I actually kind of side that it probably did happen, and I'm surprised it didn't um, fulfill that destiny. I, I do agree, and that's something that Jackie and I mentioned to one another when we watched the Melanie Gibb hearing. Preliminary. The hearing. preliminary hearing when Melanie Gibb came out and, and testified, for sure. I agree with you there. I personally, in hearing this particular recording, I personally do not believe that Rob Wood did anything that would qualify for that. Although I think that he definitely towed the line, like right on that line, and he tap danced all over it, but he didn't cross over. Or that's provable. That's r- right. In the recording... Rob Wood tells Summer that there will be conspiracy to commit murder charges for Chad and Lori and that the case against Lori was, quote, stronger. Summer herself then asks Rob Wood if they plan to put the death penalty on the table, to which Wood replies, oh, I hope not. One of the big kind of bones of contention of this audio tape is that Rob Wood shits all over Mark Means. I mean, I mean, come on, guys. Mark Means is a super easy target to begin with, but that's not necessarily professional. You mean slow-moving target? A slow-moving target, (laughs) yeah. And here's a direct quote from Rob Wood. Quote, When she has competent counsel, I don't know if you know this, her attorney has never handled a felony before. He has never, never gone on any meaningful criminal work at all. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's a nice guy other than when he's lying about me, but he doesn't know what he's doing. Once we file further charges, she will be appointed counsel who will know what they're doing. Our goal is to put together such a case that they're smart enough to say it's going to be better to talk. So how do you feel about that, Jackie? Wow, I just really feel like he does not care for Mark Means at all. (laughs) I, I totally understand. I feel like the feeling is largely mutual between the two of them. Something that was sad is Summer asks Rob Wood if there are any updates on Tylee specifically, and Wood tells her that they may never know what happened to her. That's so sad. Yeah. Uh, Wood, Rob Wood also brought up the fact that he too is LDS, which this piece to me was potentially used to influence her, right? Absolutely. A hundred percent. 
Now, as a prosecutor, right, you want, ultimately, it would be great if Lori Vallow talked. Now, that is another piece to this audio conversation is that Rob Wood said that they had Lori Vallow almost ready to talk, and then Chad Daybell talked her out of it. So was Rob Wood as a prosecutor trying to influence Summer, knowing that that's Lori's sister, to, you know, look, you know, we don't want to have a death penalty case. You know, we were so close with Lori. We just want to know what's happened. Blah, 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 blah. Hey, I'm LDS too. So to me, that piece alone meant that he was trying to connect with her. And I do believe influence. Yeah, I do. I do too. Overall, it seemed to me that Wood was trying to connect, connect with Summer and bring her guard down in order to obtain some sort of info whatsoever, or just feed her information knowing that it's going back to Lori. You know, it's a game. It is a complete game. That was more or less the audio recording as a whole. Again, this is 18 minutes. You can listen to it. Um, The hearing itself went over more than one day and many, many, many hours. And at the end of the day, Judge Stephen Boyce found that there was not enough evidence of coercion, intimidation, or any of the other shit. What do you think about that? Do you actually agree with that, Robin? You watched the entire thing. I do agree with it. I do not think, I do not believe. I don't think that anything that he did actually crossed the full line. And this is actually also um, after speaking with multiple other current attorneys too, they don't believe that Rob Wood crossed the line. He came dangerously close to tap dancing over it, but he actually did not cross the line as a whole. Now, it's going to be interesting because John Pryor, I mean, he threw pissy fit after pissy fit during the hearing. He promised to appeal everything and basically overall be a general nuisance. Yeah, that's what defense attorneys (laughs) are, right? Yeah, exactly. That's their job. So it's going to be really, really interesting to see down the road with appeals because I feel like, you know, Means and Pryor are trying to do, they're trying to do everything. You know, the quintessential phrase, throw your shit at the wall and see what sticks. That's what, you know, that's kind of the common phrase. And I feel like that's kind of what they're doing. But, you know, I just think of spaghetti, right? How to tell if your noodles are done. Exactly. But don't do that at home. Like you got Italians everywhere cursing you right now. Yeah. Like you got to know how to like just test your noodles by eating it. Okay. (laughs) So much could change in the blink of an eye. Um, You know, if Chad Daybell and Lori Vallow consider or believe they have not had effective counsel, they can file appeals. I mean, it's a mess. But as it stands right now, Judge Stephen Boyce found that there was not evidence. And he said this in his, um, in his motion denying it, said, this matter having come before the court pursuant to defendant Chad Daybell's motion to disqualify prosecuting attorney and defendant Lori Vallow's motion to disqualify prosecuting attorney, upon review of the file, witnesses, arguments made, and for good cause appearing therefore. It is hereby ordered that both defendants' motion to disqualify the prosecuting attorney are hereby denied. Boom. I'm a little disappointed. I wanted the drama. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I really wanted a little twist in my martini. You know what I mean? Exactly. I, I was just like, wait, so I want to know that something's up with what Melanie Gibbs said and that I thought I was going to be tied into this. But no, no, I, I, I'm a little disappointed. Same here. But if Rob Wood had been disqualified, then they would have had to have brought somebody else in who had had to have been updated, brought up to speed on the case. And it's just probably more mess that we are interested in. Back to Stephen Boyce's motion of denial, though. The second is, it is further ordered that prior to calling Summer Shiflet as a witness to testify at trial, counsel will be required to have a pretrial hearing on the matter. So you can look forward to, in the very least, a pretrial hearing. Which I do. Yes. Regarding Summer Shiflet uh, before she is brought to trial. 
So that was it on the audio. Again, there's a lot more to the audio, a lot more that we could discuss, but those are the main points. If you would like to, the full hearings, um, again, hours are available on YouTube. Now, Zulema, right? Oh, are we finally getting to the I'm juicy part? so excited. If you have not listened to our episode on Zulema, we have the full episode uh, available here for free on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, you know, all the, the regular places. We also have a Patreon-only episode um, with a bunch of additional information because we did some investigative journalism on Zulema. So Zulema pestinus, and this is something that we learned again from the hearing, is, quote, and this is a quote by Garrett Smith, both her and Summer Shiflet's attorney, quote, it was described as kind of an introductory conversation. We had a similar one with Zulema Pastinus, but that one had more to do with her use immunity agreement and just kind of finalizing those details and getting that signed and things like that. What? <laughs> Like, that was the first anyone heard of Zulema Pastinus's immunity agreement, and I'm not sure why more people aren't talking about this. Yeah, that's very important, because that means she has something. This is huge. What that means is that Zulema signed an immunity agreement in exchange for her testimony, and that is absolutely huge. And lest we not forget that joint immunity agreements exist. So what that means is that it's fully possible that Rob Wood tried to get a joint immunity agreement between Zulema, Arizona, and Idaho, especially if she had been involved in criminal activity. I, I, do, I do agree. I mean, especially in cases like this, I wonder what she did or admitted to, you know, as far as some sort of illegal activity, why she got an immunity agreement. She knows something. This is what that tells us. Hopefully she tells us why the burner phones. Oh, my <laughs> God. That's so weird and bizarre to me. Now, it's my opinion that Melanie Gibb at this point is too tarnished and untrustworthy to be the star witness that everyone thought that she was going to be. So it may be possible that Zulema here is coming out of left field to kind of take on the role as the star witness for the prosecution. I mean, there are very few people, I think at this point, initially after Melanie Gibb came out and she wore her pink little cardigan and, you know, touched, what, grapes in a vineyard and, oh, it was just awful. And trying to act like a kindergarten teacher, people were like, oh, Melanie Gibb, she's In the so public eye. It was just a front for the public eye. Right. Know, because she was in the public eye, so she had to play a game. Right. And I think that a lot of people have kind of seen through that at this point and realized that she's not trustworthy. She, you know, basically gave up her, abandoned her children. She knew that JJ, you know, the situation with JJ, the movie theater. I mean, Melanie Gibb has, she's a liar. She is a liar. And so I wonder that now that Zulema has an immunity agreement, um, if Zulema is going to kind of be taking on more of a, a larger role with us. Because it's my understanding currently that Melanie Gibb does not have an immunity agreement. Please, someone, if you know, correct me if I am wrong. At least that information has not been released to the public as of yet. Alrighty, so moving on. Justin Lum, and here's probably my favorite, my favorite part here. Justin Lum published the police reports regarding the death of Alex Cox. Now, if you recall, he supposedly died of a pulmonary embolism. And the reports that Justin Lum published include interviews with Zulema and both her son and daughters. We're going to, we're going to start with like the main report, the full report. Uh, on December 12, 2019, the Gilbert, Arizona Police Department was called to Zulema Pastinus's home. Pastinus' son Joseph had been in his bedroom with the door closed and headphones in 
when Zulema called him to have him check on Alex. And he found Alex Cox, uh, Zulema's husband of two weeks, lying on the floor of the bathroom gasping for air. There was vomit around his mouth and feces all around the floor. Joseph called 911 and an ambulance was dispatched. Alex was then taken to Banner Gateway Hospital where he was pronounced dead. So Gilbert Police Department officer Jason Biggs found Zulema in the trauma room beside Alex and she was upset and quote reluctant to talk with him. And what I, like many of you, found really interesting is that she immediately asked why she was being questioned and whether she was a suspect in his death. Because naturally, if your husband of two weeks, someone that you've supposedly known for just a year, dies of some sort of event, right, that appears natural, and police come calling, the very first thing I'm going to ask is, am I a suspect? Like, that is the most sus thing that you can possibly do. Like, wait, did I do it? Right? She said that she and Alex had been married for two weeks. She claimed that he had been experiencing shortness of breath starting around December 6th, had multiple instances of being winded, and yet refused to go to the doctor. Now, on the day of his death, December 12th, Zulema said Alex claimed that he felt fine, so she left for work. Now, also to note, do not forget that Tammy Daybell's body was exhumed on December 11th, the day before. So Zalema said that later in the day, Alex had a friend whose name is Redacted give him a blessing over the phone. That Redacted friend then texted Zulema and told her that he wasn't doing well and that she needed to go home to him. East Idaho News confirmed from multiple sources that that friend was in fact Chad Daybell. Oh. Who talked to Alex minutes, if not like an hour, before his death. What if I'm right? And gave him a supposed blessing and then called Zulema and was like, hey, you need to go home to him. And the plot thickens. Yeah, to me, that was like, whoa. So Zulema dropped off a client that she was supposedly with at the time and she went home as she was local in the area and not very far, which I also find just a little too convenient. She called her son Joseph to have him check on Alex. Now, some interesting background information that Zulema gave. She said that Alex had just come to Arizona to visit the family the day before Thanksgiving, but she convinced him to stay, and then they just decided to elope and get married. She says that Melanie Pulowski, former, you know, as you know, formerly Melanie Boudreaux, also visited for Thanksgiving with her new husband. Now, if you guys recall, Zulema, Melanie, Ian Pulowski, and Alex just basically all got married in Vegas. Now, what's interesting is when the officer questioned Zulema about Alex's family, Zulema said that she knew that he had six siblings, but that he didn't speak to them much. She did admit, in fact, to knowing Lori, but she said that she had only met Lori a few times when Lori lived in Arizona before Lori moved to Idaho. And we know that's not true. We know that's not true. And that her phone number had been disconnected when she last texted it. She also said that she did not believe that Lori was married, which she was already married for a couple weeks now to Chad Daybell. She probably already knew that too. Right. She said that Alex went to Mexico on December 7th to get a prescription filled for them because it was cheaper. I wonder what medication it was that Alex supposedly went to Mexico for, or if it was a prescription at all. I'm assuming that the cops have already verified that, but I just found that very weird. That was Zulema's initial interview in the hospital. Also, there was an interview with Joseph Lopez, her son. Nothing really new there, nothing contradictory. As always, it's interesting that he was seemingly not aware that Alex and Zulema were married. He said that Alex moved in when they became engaged and referred to Alex as his mom's boyfriend. 
another interview, which was interesting, was Kara Anofreton. Pardon me if I get her name incorrect. Kara is Lima's daughter, and she went to Lima's house after Joseph called her to tell her what, what was going on. So Kara moved out of the house when Alex moved in, and she said she moved out because Zulema was frequently getting into relationships with men and they're just moving them in. And she told the police that she just really didn't want to deal with it anymore, which, girl, That's reasonable. That's reasonable. I feel you, girl. And again, if you listen to our previous Zulema episode, we go through each one of her marriages and, and, and relationships. Kara knew that Zulema was engaged to Alex, but never really interacted with him. All she said is that she knew that he was, quote, very religious. And here's where it starts to get good. Kara said that Zulema, her mom, was close friends with Alex's sister, Lori, and that they both attended the same LDS church. Not only that, she described them both as preppers, like preparing for the end of the world. She said that it was Zulema's relationship with Lori that introduced her to Alex. She said that Zulema had actually planned to move to Idaho originally to be with Alex in Idaho, but that Alex left Idaho to be with Zulema. When Alex moved back to Arizona, he came with Melanie Pulowski, but they drove separately. She said that Melanie had to pick up some stuff from a relative's house and then moved right back to Idaho when she was finished. Kara did not know any of the other relatives of either Alex or Lori. So the interesting part there is that she completely, she pulls the carpet out from under Zulema's feet. You know, Zulema's like, I barely even knew her. And then Kara's like, oh no, she was best friends with Lori. They went to the same church together. They were super close. And not only that, she met Alex through Lori, her new husband. Yeah, a lot of holes in the story. Yeah, which is really, really suspicious. Suspicious. So Detective Pilar, we all know because he's been involved with the Arizona side of things literally since the very beginning. Justin Lum released his supplemental report. Now, Detective Pilar responded to this entire situation because Alex was involved in multiple investigations before his death. And his supplemental report includes summaries of three different detectives and their interviews and responses to Alex's death. Number one, Detective Frerer went to Zulema's residence. He interviewed Kara, Zulema's daughter. Two, Detective Biggs went to, to, went to see Zulema at the hospital to interview her there. We've already covered that particular interview. A side note on that one, Biggs did look at Alex's body in the hospital after he had passed and did not see any obvious signs of trauma. That's pretty much the only new information there. And then three, Detective Pilar himself went to Zulema's residence. Another officer was doing security outside, and Zulema, another daughter, Megan, and Joseph were inside sitting in the living room. Detective Pilar then took Zulema to his police vehicle to talk privately, where Zulema recounted the same story that she gave Detective Biggs in the other uh, report. Now, we learned the same information, but Zulema's interview ended because her son-in-law, Jose Ochoa, called her while she was in the car and told her to shut it until she got a lawyer. So Zulema immediately hung, you know, said, I'm done. I'm getting counsel. And Detective, so she and Detective Pilar went back into the house. And then Detective Pilar threw down that search warrant right in front of her in the living room. Uh, all we know is that various unnamed things were taken as evidence, but we are aware that there was a cell phone taken and that data wasn't extracted from it. More to come on that, right? More to come, I'm sure. But damn, guys, Zulema has an immunity agreement. So I wonder what, what this she is. What did. What did you do, lady? <laughs> what did you do? But don't forget that Alex's death has been, it, it was closed out as natural causes, which is very possible. Um, you know, when you travel or drive quite a bit, 
that's actually a very common way for truckers, you know, long haul truckers, especially to die pulmonary embolism, you know, and apparently Alex was a long haul trucker for quite a long time. And he wasn't the healthiest. So it's very possible. But I wonder what Zulema did. Here's looking at you, Zulema. Here's looking at you, Zulema. So that's it. That's all the new information that we have currently on the case. That is the state of the case. What do you guys think? Where do you, we want to hear from you as always. So drop us a comment. You can message us on Instagram. You know, we're on all social media as we saw the devil, but we want to know what you think first. Brainstorm. Yeah. (laughs) Brainstorming session. Do you think Rob Wood should have been removed from the case? And what information do you think that Zulema can bring to the table? Because now in this police report, she's already been caught in a lie. Why did she get the immunity agreement? Why? So that is it for this week, guys. Again, three episodes a week starting Monday. Monday, if there's anything new on the Lori Vallow case by this upcoming Monday, we will talk Vallow. If not, it will be a random case of our choosing. Wednesday will be cult. And then Friday, we are going to be bringing on Patreon. So again, if you're interested in joining that, coming on the show, being a guest and talking true crime, check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash we saw the devil. Until next crime.